Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 242. So I didn't get to set up the streaming stuff yet. I played around with it earlier today. Um, didn't get it working. Um, mainly because YouTube's got some funky stuff that for the streaming to work. If we use Twitch, I could just click a button to make it work. Since I already have that set up, but we're going to try YouTube. <laughs> um, so yeah, over the weekend, I had a disaster. Almost a disaster, I guess. Uh, in my garage. My, I have a four-bank battery charger slash maintainer, and it, it took a dump, um, which wouldn't be that big of a deal, except it took a dump and also took all four batteries with it. That's expensive. Yeah, yeah, because um, one of those batteries is an Odyssey AGM battery, and uh, those are $400 a piece. <laughs> Um, I shouldn't laugh. I'm sorry. That really sucks. Yeah, it basically was like $800 worth of batteries and a $100 charger. Um, so I did contact the company, and they I didn't tell them about the it took the batteries with it, but they are shipping me a new unit. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do because I already ordered a better battery monitor charger unit. Because um, I don't trust this old brand. Because, of course, when they said, oh, yeah, we'll ship you a new one. I'm like, do I need to ship the old one back? And they said no. And... Uh, so I had to take it apart, right? Of course, yeah. No, we're all we're all over here. Like, what went wrong with it, Parker? Yeah. So I did take it apart, and it's it's a four bank, and it's interesting. It's got just four PCBs in it, so each one is an individual unit. So I'm also wondering, like, how did it fail and take everything with, like, all the batteries? Because actually, only one bank is bad. The other three banks seem to work, but it did draw the power on all of I don't know. So step back and take give give us a little description. When you say it took a dump and it took the batteries with it, like what do you mean by that? So what I mean by it is, on on uh, Friday basically I looked over at it and one of the LEDs because it, it just basically I have all my batteries on it just to keep them all charged up. Um, and so I went over, I just looked at it and one of the LEDs was off. So I'm like, that's weird. So I went put my hand on the machine and the machine was burning up. And then I unplugged it and then checked all the batteries and all the batteries were like almost dead. So something bad happened inside the unit and it then decided to basically pull all the power out of the car batteries and discharge it into a heat heater inside of it, right? Um, so I guess I'm kind of lucky that one, it didn't catch on fire. And uh, so who knows actually how long it's been dead for. It could have been dead for weeks and just slowly pulling power off off the units off the batteries um so i'm like okay something must have catastrophically gone wrong in this thing right so i opened it up and this is the the bank that's dead i'm showing steven nothing looks bad on it like all the parts are are good it just doesn't output any voltage it, it has one of those um uh, yellow tape transformers on it because it's it's clearly some kind of switcher flyback thing. Yeah, it's it. it's a um, it's a PWM controller, so it'll be a, fly, a, a switcher power supply. Yeah, there's a, there's a flyback and there's clearly a um, uh, like an opto uh, one of those four leg opto isolator yep. guys on it. Yeah, right uh -huh. down there. Yep. Um, and so the first thing I looked was, oh, it's got a glass fuse on it. Is that good? It's so good. So the fuse didn't save anything. Um, so something on this board failed that caused all the current from all the batteries to drain into it. Um, and I, the, none of the components look bad. Everything, 
the components themselves look good. Mm. Now the construction of this board is like is terrible. It's first of all that appliance style PCB where so it only has it's a one sided PCB. Yeah. For you know super cheapness. Yeah, that's pinching every penny. Yep, every single penny out of it, and it's got flux all over the board. Basically, whenever they did the uh, through hole, they just didn't clean anything after doing all the through hole, like putting all the wires on it and. Uh, yeah, but it's it's probably no clean flux, right? Yeah, it just looks nasty though. Like yeah, but they don't expect anyone to open it up other than Parker's. <laughs> yeah, tr- true. True. <laughs> um, so I couldn't find anything really wrong with it. Now I'm getting a whole new one, but I'm probably not going to use it. I'm probably just going to like sell resell it or something. Well, okay. Actually, this has got me thinking now. It, it has four of these units on there. Yeah. And it looks like they're isolated output units. How would it dump all four batteries? I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. Maybe they maybe actually more failed and failed through like the 120 volt side. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. Well, and maybe they're, I mean, I, I, it wouldn't make sense that they're actually isolated then if it took all the batteries out. Yeah. I don't know. But I put, I bought a newer or a different, not a newer. I bought a new charger mm. and uh, it is, it's it got some special modes on this charger that it can recover bad batteries and it seems to be recovering them fine. What we'll know in a couple more days, but it's it's charged up like my my expensive battery. It got it's up to like seventy five percent now, and it seems to be holding charge. And the and the charger doesn't complain about it, so it seems to be fine. We'll see. We'll know once it's fully charged. And I put a key in the wagon, and it doesn't crank over, right? Because it's got like an internal short or something. Um, but actually, this new charger will be able to to uh, detect that, which is kind of cool. This seems to be kind of like a a dumb in quotes charger compare in comparison but uh, i did look at some of the parts that are on it and so for the the switcher part which is like the upper half of this board which is like the 120 volt side um it uses a sf 1565 sg which is a current mode pwm controller and you're right it's it's connected up to ooh, drop the board it's connected up to the the paper the uh, yellow tape transformer the opto um, and it uses a uh, FQPF12 N60C FET and channel FET for controlling the switcher. And then what I really want to know was like how was it managing the batteries, right? Like did it use a dedicated IC or whatever? It actually has a whole tech MCU which I've never even heard of before. And that that is an HT46R004 and so I was looking at it and I'm like Looking at the specifications, I'm like, why would you choose this? Well, the, one of the first lines in the data sheet is cost effective. <laughs> <laughs> and so I looked it up. That This microcontroller is like 22 cents in quantity. So oh, that would wow. be why. So it's, yeah. it's probably running some simple battery charging routine that this company probably didn't develop. It's probably whoever made the this module board that plugs into it. Um. So yeah, it's kind of a bummer. It was kind of like I was kind of angry all weekend at at this battery charger. Um, are, are are the batteries just? There's no chance of saving them. Well, no, the new charger I got actually has special modes to kind of like help repair batteries as a fix it, like desulfurating them. And they, it seems to be doing a good job. It's like it's actually charging up these 
dead batteries. Oh, okay, so you didn't. You're not actually out eight hundred bucks. Not yet. Not yet. At least. <laughs> no, I, um, we'll I'm find out. Usually, like AGM style batteries are usually really good slash okay with being discharged. Like normal flooded lead acid batteries do not like being fully discharged. Like it, it sulfocates them. So like mm -hmm. sulfur will actually accumulate on the lead plates. Mm -hmm. Sulfur being part of the uh, um, in in the acid um, in there. So. But AGM batteries, since there's different construction and all that good stuff, they they tend to be able to drop a lot lower in voltage before you start hurting them. Um, and that, it was right on the edge there, but it seems to be recovering nicely. We'll know basically once it's fully charged, and then I put a load on it and see if it can hold its voltage at that load. So hopefully next week I say, it's okay. Everything's good. Everything's good, yeah. So do you have a good weekend, Steven? Uh, weekend, well, <clears throat> no, actually, I had a terrible weekend. Uh, oh, no, just like no. me then. <laughs> my, my, my wife got the itch to buy a new dishwasher, and uh, so we purchased, well, I shouldn't say got the itch. We, we'd been planning on getting a dishwasher for a long while, and, um, and so we, uh, we ended up pulling the trigger, and I'm like, I can install a dishwasher. It's, it's whatever, you know? So a, a job that should be 30 minutes turns into, like, eight hours of work oh, no. in the kitchen it was it was awful yeah, and, and and the, whoever whoever built my kitchen they didn't they didn't measure from the wood floor in my kitchen to the countertop they measured from the subfloor which is like an extra three quarters of an inch beneath the wood yeah, panel. yeah. so like i get everything hooked up and i'm ready to slide the dishwasher in. <laughs> it doesn't fit no it doesn't fit because it wasn't measured right so I, basically, you're, you're, it wasn't tall enough. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't oh, tall no. enough if you include the wood floor. Oh no! And that didn't matter with my old dishwasher because it had a lip on it that worked fine for that. So, uh, re regardless, it was just like it was like eight hours of four-letter words uh, trying to get this. How'd thing you in. fix that? Um, <sighs> the dishwasher is now three quarters of an inch shorter. The dish. The dishwasher <laughs> is is in there. I have to take it out and and I have I had to force it in. Let's just put it that way. Uh angrily <laughs> force it in. Never want to hear that about appliances. No, you know no, no. It's really funny is we, like the last week has been appliance talk in our Slack channel. Yeah, yeah, it has been. Our Slack channel is is really like active now, which is yeah. which is awesome. I love seeing I everyone's that. working from home. Yeah. Oh, well, for sure. So, I don't know. Like I got the dishwasher in. It's working. I got everything hooked up. Uh, and, you know, of course, like, my house is 20-something years old. I just had Romex hanging out the wall, uh, and that's how it, it hooked up to it. But new dishwashers don't have that, so I had to install an electrical box uh, and just basically route the Romex to an outlet and then plug the new dishwasher in. It was just, like, thing after thing after thing of that. You know, I wasn't even thinking about talking about that, but, of course, you're like, how's your weekend? Well, it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> So I have a I have a partially working dishwasher right now. Like the door has trouble opening because it interferes with the cabinet, the the, uh, the kitchen counter. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. I what I have to do is I have to basically chunk out a, a a portion of my wood floor that won't be visible. It's just they put the wood floor into the cavity. Yeah, that, that's weird because usually they don't do that. No, usually they don't. So it seems like an afterthought. But yeah, because um, I actually installed my parents' new dishwasher 
couple weekends ago down in Galveston, mm, Texas. Yeah. And yeah, it was the same thing. You you pull the other one out and you have to lift it up about you know a half an inch to get over mm -hmm. the floor, right? And then slide it out. And then when you put the new one back in, it goes in and drops down. Exactly, and that's how that's how it should be. So right now, if you looked at like a side view of my dishwasher, it's a little bit cockeyed and it's a little bit unlevel, like it's leaning backwards into the cabinet <laughs> because because <laughs> it's the front lip is sitting on top yeah. of an extra half an inch or three quarters of an inch of wood floor. Which, yep. that's not how it's supposed to be. Well, you can fix that with a Sawzall. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to do something like, like that. And it's, it's, only like, it's only like a two-foot section of, of wood that I'm going to have to just, you know, chew up off, <laughs> out of the floor. You know, I actually got a good idea. I don't know if you've thought about how you're going to do it yet. Um, but I would take a circular a saw. Angrily, that's how I'm going to do it. Angrily, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I would take a circular saw and only make it like how thick your wood is. And yeah. then that would be, and you use that as a, as a V-score line, like on a PCB. Yeah, that, that won't work because I won't be able to get a circular saw across the whole face of it. Like, oh, yeah. there's no way I'd be able to do that. It's almost more like take a Dremel and, and Dremel a line across it. Uh, Angle grinder. I, I would, well, the worst part would be like if you slipped on an angle grinder, then you'd get this lovely circular scratch across the rest of the wood floor in your kitchen. Yeah, just cover it up with another piece of plywood. <laughs> plywood? Yeah, that's what my... No, you use the plywood as your guide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, so like, neon I it and... I'm, I'm kind of tempted to just call somebody and just, like, you do it. Like, I was going to do oh, this to man. save money. I, but, I mean, like, it works. We've been running dishes since Saturday. You know, it, it, it functions. It's just the door interferes a little bit. And it's just like, ugh. On top of that, like, of course... Of course, you go to Home Depot and they're like universal dishwasher, you know, connection kit. You bring it home. Well, mine's not universal. Like <laughs> mine is the one that is not universal. Like you lied to me, Home Depot. So I had to go and like cobble together random parts to get because I had to go from the back of the dishwasher has uh, garden hose connection. It has, it has yeah. male garden hose. So you need a female garden hose connection that goes down to a compression fitting to which yeah. copper pipe can go into. Well, most dishwashers use 3 eighths uh, copper pipe, so you can find tons of dishwasher stuff in 3 eighths. Well, whoever installed my crap did half inch, which is fine. I don't care, but that's a lot harder to find. That So I had to do, like, adapters and all this other crap to make it work. Yeah, so your dishwasher can put some water volume out. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> sure as hell can, right? And like, so yeah, it was it was one of those things where it's just like, I went I I, I went to go install it. It's not three eighths; it's half inch. Go buy stuff for it. Oh, it's Romex, and 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 there's no way to just install direct Romex. And I didn't want to do something ghetto like cut the power cable and just like, you know, wait, 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 your old old dishwasher was connected hardwired it was hardwired yeah hardwired straight what? into the walls yeah yeah exactly it was hard well th there was a little like panel that you'd take off and then you'd wire nut it in but new ones have uh, yeah they just plug yeah. in with a nema they, 15 right right exactly so or, i had to take that romex route it somewhere else under the kitchen sink and put in a small little uh j box and it, so you know it every every little thing ends up being like a chore yeah. And and man, I woke up Sunday, and the whole left side of my body just ached because I spent <laughs> half the day with like one arm behind the di uh, the disposal <laughs> trying to work. You know, yeah, that was awful.
Oh yeah. Cool. So yeah, that was that was my weekend. In, in case anyone cares, and, and and I bet you a lot of people are listening, be like, yeah, been there, you know. And then you take a drink of your beer, right? Yes. <laughs> so so okay. In in more exciting news, uh, exciting for me at least. A few weeks ago, I talked about getting custom magnetics manufactured, and uh, just before recording this podcast i went to the mail and lo and behold there's a big box of transformers sitting there so i got all my transformers in and um they look nice i'm i'm happy with the with the way they look they uh there's a few things that uh, i didn't mention last time uh, i was talking about it that is worth mentioning now like actually the the manufacturer of these transformers puts an american flag on the on the transformers like made in america but if you read like a little bit further uh, all the cores of these were wound in Mexico, and and they get, he gets them sent to I don't know Illinois or wherever he is, and then he he puts the uh, the laminations in and um, epoxies or or pots them. So what, what's that term? Made in USA from foreign materials. Right, right. Yeah, we put it in a box and shipped it to you in America. Yes. So so that's just something to keep in mind if if you are like really really gung-ho about getting 100% made in America. You got to you gotta make sure you, you, you know that they're winding and assembling and doing everything in America. I don't mind these being done in Mexico, but it kind of goes along with that talk about just like, if you want to know everything that's going on with your Transformers, um, start a conversation with the, with the manufacturer and uh, make sure you're getting everything done right. So uh, Actually, after I got the Transformers on order, I went to Fusion 360 and I started modeling the Transformers because I want to, uh, I wanted to make sure that they fit my chassis and I want to make sure I have all my mounting holes right. And what's interesting is I used the drawing that they gave me for these Transformers and I started running into a bunch of discrepancies as, so, as soon as I started modeling it because they said what cores they are using and cores are standardized. So if you have like an EI 100 core, you can go out and find like the exact dimensions of VI um, 100 cores. So I started doing that, and then I started using their NBEL drawings, and I ended up with like quite different dimensions than what their drawing did said. So I, I emailed my, my Transformer guy, and I was like, hey, I, I modeled this, and things are seeming weird. My, my initial intention or my initial thought is that I did something wrong, but check me on this. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, all those dimensions are wrong. Here's here's new ones. And I'm like, come on, man, you sent me a drawing. And it's like, <laughs> and on top of that, it's kind of funny because, like, the, instead of updating the drawing and sending me, like, one with proper dimensions, I just got a bunch of pictures with, like, a ruler on, oh, on Transformers. No. It's like, yeah, you should use this as your mounting holes. So... And I'm not trying to say anything bad about this Transformer manufacturer because so far it's been great, but it's also been like, uh, I wish that was better, uh, that aspect of it. But the price I paid for it is like, I didn't pay the the kind of prices you would get for them to go and make new drawings for 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 one custom off run, you know, mm -hmm. kind of thing. So keep that in mind. Um, there is one thing that that happened that is a potentially a blessing in disguise for me. So I had originally asked for uh some some specific taps on this transformer that ended up being very similar to a current product offering that this uh, this company offered so we worked out a deal where it's just like oh they'll make some slight changes to it and i get pricing that's basically that model and it's just slight changes to things 
Well, I had asked for a 12 volt tap on it and I haven't checked anything yet. So I'm not, I'm not saying anything's wrong, but on the side of the transformer, it says that I got a 12.6 volt tap. They just reused the sticker. Maybe you never know. Uh, it is. Well, no, I can tell you the not really because they don't have 12 volt 12.6 on their other transformers. That's the one thing that was unique because I asked for a 12 volt tap. Gotcha. Uh, so, so the thing is, this company typically does uh, uh, guitar amp transformers, and in the guitar amp world, you never really ask for a 12 volt tap. You always ask for a 12.6. In fact, if you say 12 volt, most of the time you mean 12.6. Is so that I like can s- see it being like a confusing thing for them? Is that like in the car world, a 12 volt, ba- 12 volt batteries and your system on your car is actually like 13.6 volts? Yeah, the yeah. alternator. I think I think it actually stems from the fact that it just takes longer to say twelve point six when you basically always mean twelve point six volts when you say twelve. But it, but it, I actually meant twelve volts, and I and I went back and was like, oh, did I screw it up? And I and I went back to my own original request that I sent in, and no, I wrote twelve on there. And and the thing is, I'm not I'm I'm not going to fight anyone on it just yet because. Um, it might actually be 12, and this might be a typo written on the side. I haven't measured it. At the same time, I could actually stand in my circuit to have a little bit more voltage. I'm, I'm kind of on the cusp of being on the low end with my current values in my, uh, in my circuit. In fact, I tested, I tested my circuit at like low end of, of mains voltage, and uh, it, was, it was below what I was comfortable with. So I was going to adjust some values, some resistor values in my, in my circuit to compensate Compensate. for that but having 12.6 might actually just work out fine and i don't have to change my resistor values so like i said it might just be a blessing here uh the 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 one thing though is in that situation going forward i would need to be explicit it's like no i really do mean 12.6 now even though i said 12 previously so if i if i ever do another order with this guy i'm gonna have to be super explicit about that but Mm -hmm. i don't think that's a problem right now so uh, after this podcast, I am going to go and plug them in and find out all the mysteries that are inside this transformer. <laughs> See if I can let the smoke out. Uh, transformer is that big. You don't really want to let the smoke out. I've done it before. It's not fun. <laughs> the very first transformer I bought that was like a big boy transformer like this. Very first one. It was over two hundred bucks, and I was in. Uh, I was a freshman in college, and I wired it up wrong, and. Bzz, and just that was it put, and it was like 200 bucks did you put primary on the secondary um i shorted somehow i sh- i still don't even know but i shorted the heater tap which was 10 amps it was Ooh. it was 6.3 Ooh. volts 10 amps and uh, yeah the smoke came out real fast on that one <laughs> <laughs> you know the uh, what was what was really nice is um the the transformer company I ordered from, it was a custom transformer, and they were super nice to me, and they're like, hey, we know you bought one of these because you're doing a project, and they're like, we'll sell you another one at half off. Uh, and I was like, oh, you guys kick ass. So, Do you remember that company's name? Onetics. Little- Onetics. Onetics, yeah, they, they do like... They were they, they were like cream of the crop for the particular amp I was making back then. Um and they were also extremely expensive. Like at that time, I couldn't find a more expensive transformer. Ah, yeah. so yeah. So is it? Um, so what do you use twelve point six for? What's that point six volts for? Most uh, most small vacuum tubes um, have 
uh, du- dual triodes in them, and mm-hmm. you can run them at 6.3 volts, or you can run, uh, and that that's the heater, or you can run them in series and put 12.6 on it, and um, you get lower. You, you, you double the voltage, you half the current uh, demand on it, and current is what couples into other uh, parts of the circuitry. So um, you can you can lower your entire current demand and get lower noise coupling. However, I'm not doing using it for that at all. So uh, it's it's just kind of a an old um, crossover from old tube land, six point three and twelve point six. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird six point three volts is kind of a weird number too. But it just, is, yeah. It's probably someone the first time someone ever made one. They're like, oh yeah, six point three volts works great. Yeah, and that yeah. became the standard. Actually, so the the the, the first number in most um, standard tubes you you buy now the first number is its voltage 12 ax7 it's a 12.6 volt tube 6v6 is a 6.3 volt tube you know so you can usually find it out that way learn something new every day or a day yeah so the cat feeder unreminder um i actually ordered parts for it now finally it, it's taking me it's taking a while your parts. cat's got to be getting fat uh a little bit, actually. Um, <laughs> I've been keeping her outside more often uh, so that the heat kind of sheds weight off from her, right? Melts it. <laughs> yeah. It actually hasn't been that hot recently. So um, She also likes being outside. So, you know, the people who are saying, your cat should be inside. I'm like, my cat likes to be outside all the time. It's up when it gets fed. Then it wants to be inside. Um so yeah, I ordered the a breakout board for the AEM ten nine four one, which is the uh, solar harvesting microcontroller. Um, I found a breakout board a uh, person makes on Tindy, not Tinder, <laughs> and um, that'd be that'd be really weird to find find a breakout board on Tinder. <laughs> That's a match made in heaven for Parker right there. Yep. You know, I'm not even going to even go down that road. <laughs> um, and so I picked some solar ca- uh, super caps, solar super caps. Uh, they're uh, the SCCS30B106PBR or P- no, PRB, not PBR, the beer. Um, and these are 10 farads at 2.7 volt DC. Holy crap, 10 farads. <laughs> and you use two of these in parallel, not parallel, series. So you get five farads, right? Yeah, yeah. But then you get, uh, what, 5.4 volts right. uh, of uh, voltage. And then, um, so I, I decided, okay, with this, is this enough power? Do I have enough power to make my device work? Um, so the first thing I did was, I was okay, what is my dr- current draw of my timer, which is the LTC 2956, and it draws eight Nope, not eight. Point eight microamps uh, total. Um, and then I was like, okay, what about the LEDs? So the LEDs I found, or the system I'm going to do, draws about 40 microamps uh, an LED. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have one LED. You know, I have a, like a status LED that blinks. That basically is like, okay, the device is working, right? And then when it's time to feed the cat. The cat feed indicator turns on, and the other one doesn't blink anymore. Kind of save power. So wait, these are LEDs that are illuminated at 40 microamps? Yeah, you, and you pulse them. 
Yeah, but when you pulse them, they got to be way higher than 40 microamps. Yeah, but the average is 40 microamps. Oh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I thought you were saying it was 40 microamps when they're emitting light. I was like, I need to know what that LED is. No, no, no. <laughs> that's the that's the average. I uh, got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, so my average power draw for the cat feed, uh, cat feeder unreminder is 40.8 microamps. Pretty low. It's probably going to be a little higher than that, but... That's probably a good start to start. Um, and so you, you, that basically rolls out to be five farads times. Um, so 4.5 volts is what the um, AEM 10941 will charge up to, the, mm -hmm. these super caps. And then it has a lower threshold of 3.6 volts. Basically, under 3.6 volts, it turns off the uh, outputs um, because it can't run its LDOs anymore. Uh, so that's 0.9 volts of swing that you get to play with. So five times that divided by how much current you draw. And so I am doing 60.8 microamps, basically like um, one LED and one blinking LED at like half, uh, half duty cycle. And then the timer. And so that turns out to be seven, uh, no, not seven, uh, 700, 74,000 seconds, which is about 20 and a half hours, which is plenty of time um, to uh, work because, you know, half the day is light and half the day is dark. So, so but, if it was like an overcast day, you'd still probably be okay. You still get a yeah. And actually, I, I, I found the solar panel I'm going to try is the AM1816CA, which has a uh, 84 microamp peak at peak power, 84 microamps, and that actually is peak power uh, tested at 200 lux, which is like dark indoors. Hmm. Um, so anything, like if you turn the light on, it's gonna be like powering the crap out of that solar panel. So it's, it's a solar panel designed for low light. So I'm, I'm basically gonna cobble together something on my my bench and then like monitor it and seeing how well it works. Um, I might actually be able to get away with a smaller solar panel. You should, uh, you should try, uh, you should just build a dark box and see if it runs for 20 and a half hours. See if you can actually. Oh yeah. Run. Yeah. And just having the led poking out the box so you can watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever works. Yeah. So. Cause that would be really fun to see if how close you actually got to that number. Yeah. If you're, if your current, um, estimations are, anywhere near right yeah yeah but i'm mostly interested in the uh solar panel if it's enough i think it's plenty to be able to power this because it's it's over double at peak power the current output of this panel at the low end of like indoor lighting um so that should be good very cool and actually i was thinking like do i even need if i'm going solar do i even need a a uh indicator to let me know that hey you need or the device is alive because now it's always powered up right because it's got solar right it's still nice to know that it's doing something right a heartbeat somewhere yeah somewhere yeah yeah make sure your cat gets fed <laughs> that's usually not a problem they usually let you know when they yeah, usually get let fed. you know <laughs> yeah their heartbeat is a lot stronger than your little <laughs> LED thing. LED, yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. So uh, 
in in kind of in parallel with my new uh, high voltage circuitry, I've been developing a test connector that I can use in my products, and um, it's sort of if you know what Tag Connect is, it's based off of Tag Connect technology, effectively with with a, uh, a connector that can clip into a PCB and use pogo pins to uh, basically have a free in quotes footprint on your PCB that uh, you can connect into and it doesn't you don't have to populate anything on your main board you're talking about a populate with a connector yeah you don't have to populate a connector on there basically you just have exposed pads on a board and a connector that interfaces with those exposed pads with pogo pins and uh, it somehow has a captivation mechanism some kind of mechanical mechanism that hangs onto the board um, via some kind of like holes or something like that and that's what i've been developing and i finally got the boards in last week that i made a while ago i actually ordered these boards like a long time ago but i've been in a bunch of goofy talks with the pcb manufacturer about this in fact let's let's let me go a little bit into that real quick if you're going to make mechanical items out of FR4 and order them from PCB vendors. Be prepared to just have discussions about the fact that like you're fine that this is purely a mechanical thing because it's frankly it's confusing for for PCB manufacturers. Uh, I cannot tell you how many times I had to re-upload my files to my PCB manufacturer because they just couldn't understand that I wanted just FR4. Like just FR4 cut into a with shape holes, that I would with holes in it with with holes in it yeah yeah so originally I uploaded my files I and I double checked everything in my Gerber viewer everything was fine well I got I got a message back being like there's no Gerber files in in this thing I was like I looked at it in my Gerber viewer yes there's Gerber files in there well they were complaining because they didn't get a copper layer and. Every PCB has a copper layer, right? Well, I didn't have any copper on my board. I just wanted FR4. So I was like, fine. Okay, so what I did was I put a copper fill on the top board. Well, that wasn't good enough because I don't remember the reason. But, like, it just had copper on it uh, now. But, like, for some reason, they complained about it. And I think, actually, no, I remember what it was. It didn't have a hole in the board. And every PCB, for some reason, has a hole in the board. Uh, so I was like, fine, okay. So I put a via just randomly in the board. And I was like, great, now I've satisfied the requirement. Now there's a hole in the board. Well, they came back and they were like, excuse me, sir. You had originally put one layer as your, your layer count. And we now see that your your board has two layers because I had a via in it. So it had copper on the backside of the board. I'm just like, oh my God, are you kidding me? So I was like, yes, change my layer count to two. And eventually they were like, okay, now this is acceptable. And, uh, but they, but Oof. it was funny because they wouldn't manufacture one of the other boards because they said it was too small, even though like I put a bounding box and I made it bigger than their minimums. They just clearly didn't want to make it. So I was like, screw it. I'll just machine my own piece out of Garolite or something like that back at home. Uh, but regardless, just like I said, be prepared to jump through some hoops because they want to make PCBs and they want to make things that look like PCBs. And if you give them something that doesn't look like a PCB and it gets confusing for them, uh, it might be a headache. And for me, it was like, it was like a week and a half of 
going back and forward about like uh, yes i've re-uploaded boards and yes i've done this and done that and i just eventually had to like cheat the system you know regardless i've got i've got a little board here and and uh i'm showing this to parker here but I'll, we'll, we'll post some pictures of it basically i have a board with a bunch of pogo pins going through it and the pogo pins are made by milmax and uh, get ready, because here comes the part number. It's 0955-0-15-20-71-14-11-0, in case you wanted to know that. And I'm sure most of you guys don't care. But uh, Milmax makes a whole bunch of really fantastic pogo pins, and they make them in, like, every flavor you could possibly want. So if, if you ever need to do, like, a test bed or something like that, check out Milmax, and most of them are available at both DigiKey and Mauser. These particular ones are pogo pins on one end, and then on the other end, they're solder cups. So, do these also have shoulders? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's one thing is, don't pick pogo pins that don't have shoulders on them. Right. So what the shoulder enables you to do is to set the height of the pogo pin with the surface level of your PCB. If you, yeah, if you don't have the shoulders, you can. Uh, just the height to whatever, which is fine if you only have a couple, but if you have like what Steven's holding up, which is like 16, 16 of them, it would be it's heartbreaking. A nightmare. nightmare. I said heartbreaking to set that. Your technician will hit you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it won't <laughs> be right ever. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, with these ones, basically, I have a little board that I pass 16 of these uh, pogo pins through and they that shoulder sits on the on the pads and then I can just solder them in place and since they have a solder cup on the back side I can just uh, solder uh, a wire directly to them and then that's going to go off to my little test box where that has all the circuitry from my uh, high voltage uh, low current testing in it so uh, the the mechanical aspect of this is that I have two other PCBs that fit at a 90 degree to my little test connector board here and mm -hmm. it actually has a little nub on one of the boards that interfaces with a hole on my test footprint so you cannot insert it backwards and blow everything up and waste a hundred bucks worth of uh delicious parts in your test bed so i've 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 tested this out basically beep tested things and so far this is actually working pretty good i'm uh, i'm happy with how this all turned out there's a, there's a handful of changes I'm going to make because I'm going to order another version of this. Basically, I want to re refine this until like I'm happy and it'll just work across the board and just make it kind of a standard in what I'm doing now. But uh, So in the second revision, well, first of all, the, the footprint that I made that this, this connector interfaces to, I made the pads that each pogo pin touches the diameter of the pogo pin. Just to test that and so if my connector is is angled or off at all it doesn't make contact so i think i need to make the landing pads two to three times the size of the uh, actual diameter of the pogo pin and that means any angular offset will just it'll still work it'll still work yeah or you can have you can put what like how tag connect has it is they have three nubs so the so the part uh, the uh, the connector can't rotate that's actually I, I wrote that down in my notes i'm gonna on the top side of the of the footprint i have one uh one hole in the pcb that a nub goes through and on the bottom side i'm gonna put two so you still can't put it in backwards yeah. and then it'll prevent rotation 
Uh, so I think I think all of those put together will just make like a robust system that connects every time. I also I, I set the height of all of my uh, pogo pins such that at nominal when they're pressed into the board they're half the travel of the pogo. Correct. I think I'm going to put it a little bit further because I want it to press even further down in. I, I I think these things have a travel of like forty or fifty thousandths of an inch. I think. I'm going to make it such that you have to do like 60 or like, 70% of that whole travel. Because yeah, usually I spec half of it. Yeah, that and that's what fine. I did. It just doesn't feel perfect. I think a little bit more would be better. I want it. Okay. I want it. And, and that'll take up any slop of if there is any difference in height between them. Because right now I think 25 thousandths of an inch, uh, 25 thousandths, yeah, of an inch is, is fine, but I think I'd just feel a little bit better if it was a little further. And then uh, I have to make, I haven't made the Paul design, and, and the Paul is the fingers that grip into the PCB that actually hold it in place. Like if you've seen the side of a tag connect con uh, connector, they have these fingers that fit in and kind of grip the board. And, and I designed them up, but I haven't really figured out exactly how I want to do it. That's kind of a hard problem to get past that's the more mechanical side and so like i'm not good at that part portion but <laughs> I, I but i i have i have holes in the side of my test board that that the fingers are gonna grip into and i've got the poles designed the only thing that i don't have right now is how they're spring loaded because i want them such that if you let go of the poles once you have the pcb in place it'll actually like swing in and grip into the board uh so so i have a dumb dumb question please why not just use two two by five tag connects oh uh high voltage is okay is you need more isolation i need i need plenty of isolation yeah that totally makes sense now because yeah. i'm like why are we designing this thing that already kind of exists but now that totally makes sense because that you need higher voltage and isolation i need yeah high voltage isolation uh there's 16 pins on this only one of them is ground Four of them are low voltage. All the rest are upwards of 500 volts. So yeah, yeah. totally makes sense. Then. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. Why go through all this like headache of making a special thing, right? Well, sometimes it's fun to just to try to design something like that. But I was just like, okay, what's the what? Where are we getting at with this? Right. Right. Uh, the, the, you know, the other thing also is uh, I'm going to add a little bit of extra board on this because this board, I think it's like an inch long, my, my whole connector. Um, and it's going to have 16 wires coming off of it. They're going to be pretty small gauge, like 22 gauge. Uh, but I, I think I'm going to add some PCB material such that I can bundle all the wires together and then make a strain relief. And basically... I don't know. I might use adhesive. I might do zip tie. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But make something that holds the bundle of all 16. I wires. would use just a big tube of heat shrink over it. Yeah, and then and then grip onto the board. Yeah, because um, and I would use heat shrink that's got like a isolation rating of like 600 volts or higher. <laughs> well, all the wires are gonna have to have that, right? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, this is this is pretty cool for a first go round and and like i said i i beep tested it all of it so it's all functioning it's just uh it's a little flimsy at the moment so i'm gonna do another another round of prototyping on it but um so far i'm pretty happy with it okay sounds good yeah 
that going to wrap up our podcast? I'm actually really looking forward to seeing how that works out, especially in the isolation side of the voltage. You know, I, I, I checked all of my clearances, and I have more than enough creepage clearance for each one of these pins to be, you know, if you had two adjacent pins to be 500 high and voltage, zero volts, yeah. you know, uh, and, and they should not short. <laughs> well, and, and whenever, whenever I actually connect all 16 wires to this, each solder cup is going to have heat shrink over each one. And then, oh, okay, and yeah. then I'm going to put um, adhesive uh, and basically just like glue it all together in there, you know, Entomb them. <laughs> yeah. Because I hope to make a few of these and then just be done with it forever. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, what's going to be interesting is seeing how, you know, what would work really well hmm. is 3d printing those clips or seeing them at work. <laughs> you could do that, but I think yeah. no, 3D, 3D, 3D printing would get all the dimensions just right. I wouldn't have to just deal with what material I had. Yeah. You want to 3D um, print me some clips? Yeah, I can do that, actually, if you want to throw me what you want to model. Yeah, I actually I, I think I have it. them modeled up somewhere in Fusion, so I'll, I'll look at it again um, because, like I said, I haven't worked out the actual... So, so there's two issues here, or or there's two methods, and I and I kind of don't like both of them. Uh, so one of the things is I could have the the Paul arms that actually grip the board. I could have those so they're not spring loaded whatsoever. I could have it where you put the connector in and then you open the Pauls and it grips the board, and it could rely on the force of the of all sixteen pogo pins to press against it, and that would probably work. Or I could have the 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 Pauls be actually be spring-loaded themselves so they want to grip the board and that seems better to me but i just don't i haven't envisioned exactly how that works like where the springs actually fit you know i i would use especially since if you can make it out of 3d printed material i would do because i'm print. i'd be print i'd be printing it out of polycarbonate mm -hmm. and so i would use the ability of polycarbonate to flex a bit and make it a compliant hinge okay and so when you you would have i, I could draw it up. it would be really hard to explain on the podcast but sure. i'll draw it up and um and just i'll just draw up it on a napkin and send you a picture and then we can put that in podcast notes but it'd basically be like it snaps in and then you squeeze it and then it like you know it's it's it moves the pins on the bottom side and you have like a little compliant hinge in there it'd be really easy to make yeah, I mean, we could basically just copy Tag Connect, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what you're doing. Well, but, but okay, so Tag Connect, if you look at the fingers, they face outward. Yeah, that's how this... Mine face inward. I think inward would be fine. Uh, I'll, sh I'll show you the drawing I'm thinking of. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. whatever works. Yeah, I mean, if that works, that's fine with me. I'll just take a... I'll, I'll draw up something, send it over to you, and uh, you model it, and... I'll say if I can print it or not. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is, they're not going to be big. Like these are these no. are all pretty small things. Should be fine. Cool. We'll see. Sounds good. So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dolman and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy.